We're continuing our series, Freedom Looks Like, this week. And freedom looks like eating locusts and lots of honey and cleaning people's feet that is covered in camel poop. So yeah, John the Baptist, freedom looks like, this is week five of our six-week series. We've only got one week left after this, which is next week. Uh, I've really enjoyed this series. Looking at someone in the Bible, looking at their life, um, looking at what freedom was for them. Um, and what it can mean for us. It's just been awesome. I loved last week hearing from Tanya, sharing about Daniel, and just hearing her talk about faith and how uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had faith, not based upon their circumstances, but based on God and his truth. Um, and, and that's just been something that I've really uh, dwelled on this past week and, and just gleaned a lot from. So yeah, today we're looking at John the Baptist. You know, it's interesting. I've really been wrestling this week with John the Baptist as a person and his story because there's not actually a lot written in the Bible about him. Across the Gospels, you know, there's a couple of chapters here and there. There's a few verses and they all tell his story slightly differently. In Luke, they're very descriptive about how John uh, was conceived and how an angel came down uh, to Zachariah, who was John's father, and told him that you're going to bear a son and that he's going to be the fulfillment of the prophecies both in the book of Isaiah and also in the book of Malachi and that he's going to be preparing the way for the Lord you know and and then Zechariah he ends up being uh, made mute until John is born um and then he writes on a piece of on a tablet that John is going to be his son's name when he's born and you know he ends up speaking again so Luke probably has the most all in all summary with the most explanation really of, of John the Baptist and so we're going to be looking at a couple of verses from Luke today. It's in Luke chapter, chapter one, actually, which is uh, one of the longest. It's a long chapter, Luke chapter one. If you haven't read it, it's 80 verses long. We're going to be sitting in the last little portion of it regarding the, the birth of John the Baptist. Um, and then we're going to be talking about some cool things, hopefully that you find cool. You may not find them cool. I, I personally have found them cool because they've brought me closer to Jesus. So I, I consider that cool. So yeah, we're going to be sitting in the back end of Luke today, and we're going to be looking through a lens and a perspective this morning of John throughout his life owning the call and the task and the gifts that he has been given. Looking through the perspective of John owning his call, owning what has been prophesied over him, and accepting that and actually living out that. That's a lens that we're going to be looking through this morning. So if, if you want to look in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, this is where we're going to pick it up. Uh, this is Zacharias, the father of John, and he is prophesying of John's ministry. And so it says in verse 67, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying this, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. And in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and that the hands of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And this is where it gets important. Verse 76, 
And you, child, this is him prophesying to John, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from him on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And so the child grew up and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. That's some prophetic word right there. As you see here from verse 76, the the call and the word spoken over John's life is large, quite large. When we look back at John and look through the perspective of John being the fulfillment of prophecy that Isaiah prophesied, that Elijah prophesied, that was prophesied in Malachi, that there would be one that would come, that would prepare, that would be a messenger, that would prepare the way for the coming of our Lord. When we consider these things, when we consider these words spoken, these words written, the call on John's life is huge. There is an incredible weight of responsibility that is placed on John. Let's not take that for granted. Let's just, I want you to just think for a second. Imagine, imagine yourself in Israel in that point in time. They've experienced roughly from the point of when Jesus is born and John is born, you know, they were born within a few months of each other. They've experienced centuries of prophetic silence. That's probably the best way to explain it. As a nation and as a people, since the the time of the, the major and minor prophets some centuries ago, they have experienced prophetic silence in that time. And when we look in the book of Malachi, uh, I think it's in Malachi chapter 3 and also again in Malachi chapter 4, there are, there are prophecies that say that someone like Elijah will come again and when he comes, it will be a sign and he will be a messenger that will prepare the way for the Lord, prepare the way for Israel as a nation to experience salvation. So with that in mind, understand that at this point in time when John is coming to into the world, with his conception um, and with, with the angel of the Lord that came to his father, Zacharias, with the prophetic word that's been spoken over him that is recorded and written in, in Isaiah and in Malachi, and then also the word that his father delivers, the miracle of his father becoming mute and then unmute again as he is born and, and he prophesies that the weight of responsibility, the weight of call on John's life is large. It's big. It's there. Today, I want to present to you an idea, not just a good idea. I I believe it's a biblical part of our foundation. I want to talk today about freedom looking like humility. Freedom looking like humility. What is humility? You might wonder. I pulled out this definition. It says this, humility is being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's self-worth. Humility is being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's self-worth. Humility helps us understand, it helps us recognize our position, our stance, where we are in God. If we are a, a person who is proud, or a person who is arrogant, we're choosing to believe that our opinion is greater than 
or more important than the opinion that God has of us. And so with that in mind, let, let's look again at, at John and, and the position and the call that is on his life. It's easy to be humble, and it almost might be a, a false sense of humility. It's easy to be humble when there's not a lot of great things, there's not a lot of high expectations, when there's not a lot of acclamation. It's easy to be humble when things aren't being said good about you. I mean, that's easy for me. I find it quite easy to be humble when people aren't blowing my horn. I think we all find that. But when we have people that are saying these amazing things about us, when, when there is a level of weight or responsibility or expectation on the greatness that is called to be in our lives, it, it gets a bit more hard to be humble. I was thinking back of a, you know, some stories that I could share that would bring light to my um, former arrogance and pride and non-humility in the Lord. And, and I was thinking back to when I was probably like 14, 15, 16. At that time, I, I was still this height. I haven't grown really much since then, unfortunately. I wish I did grow more since then, but I haven't grown more since then. But at that time, I was a giant. You know, I would stand head and shoulders taller over people. And I was also quite good at basketball. And I was uh, pretty confident in letting everyone know about it, as Dan can probably testify to that. I was quite comfortable and quite certain of my ability on the basketball court. I remember there was this one time Dan and I were playing basketball, you know, it, as, we, as we did at extreme times. I think it was probably like 11 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night. We were hanging out, having a sleepover at my house, and we were playing basketball. And I used to pride myself on the fact that, Dan had never beaten me in a one-on-one -on -one match in basketball. You know, Dan and I, we, we've been friends now for a long, long time. I think we were talking about it the other day. We've been friends probably since I was 12, Dan was 13, around that point in time. You know, we're now 14, 15. Um, we're playing basketball on the basketball court in my backyard. Dan's had three years of losing to me. And I love telling Dan that he's had three years of losing to me. Anytime we're in the middle of a game, I'm like, hey, Dan, you're going to lose again. You're ready to lose again, Dan. Come on, you're going to lose again, Dan. You know, and he'd be like, no, I'm not going to lose. And then, you know, I'd win. It would happen over and over again. And, you know, it, it was this, this false sense of security that I built that I knew without a, doubt, without a doubt in my mind that I was confident that I could beat my best mate in basketball. You know, so, so confident in it. Until this one night, we were playing. It, it was close and, you know, we were playing to 11, first to 11 wins. The score was tight. This is nine o'clock at night. We're playing serious. We're super sweaty. We're going for it. Dan's playing well. I don't want to lose to Dan because I, I find it so important to find like, my humility isn't there in that moment. And I am so proud of the fact that I've never lost and I don't want to lose to Dan. I still remember it. Dan and, like, made this move and he ended up getting to the basket and like he did like a little shot fake and I jumped and I went flying past and Dan scored. And I like, this is crazy, but I rage quitted, like absolutely rage quitted. And I grabbed the ball and I was like, screw this in much more expletive language, but I won't say that now. And I literally kicked the ball as hard as I could out of our backyard. It went miles. We couldn't even find it. I'm sure it probably ended up like 10 streets down in someone else's backyard. I was so upset, so, so, so upset. It was Dan's moment of glory. It was my moment of, you know, terrible falling apart. My pride, my status, my undefeated record was gone, forever gone. 
And I look back on that moment now and I laugh because I'm like, Nathan, you're so silly. Like you were so tied up with the fact that you were good. You weren't humble. There was no humility. There was not one ounce of humility that was in my heart or in my actions at that point in time. That is an example of someone uh, owning what they've been given, owning the gift they've been given and letting it become the thing that's more important and you know, becoming proud in their ability, becoming proud of their gift. And it was super unhealthy, really, really unhealthy. I was not a humble person at all. Was not a humble person. You know, and Dan used to always get into me and be like, Nathan, you're not humble. Like you're so proud, you're so arrogant. And uh, I used to be like, no, no, I'm humble, man. I'm humble. I, I clearly wasn't. I'm happy to own that now. There are multiple times that John finds himself in, in positions and they are written in a variety of the gospels. So I'm not going to go across and pull them out of the, out of the scripture, but I'm just going to paraphrase and, and tell you of the circumstances. But there are a number of times that John um, is experiencing favor in his ministry. You know, John was a man who lived in the wilderness and he was a pretty crazy dude. He genuinely was a crazy dude. He, he was crazy enough. He was eccentric enough that people actually thought he was demon possessed uh, in a couple of instances. But John had a large following. John had a number of disciples. There were some significant moments that I, I just want to quickly touch on that I think really show the heart of humility that John had. And, and how important it is for us to understand that if we are to own what God has given us, to own the gifts that God has given us, it is so important that we, we carry ourselves in a heart of humility. So there's this one moment, it was this one moment where John is baptizing people and Jesus comes to John to get baptized. John's reply is like, Lord, I'm not worthy of baptizing you. You should be the one that's baptizing me. But in the end, Jesus, you know, is like, no, 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 you're meant to baptize me. You're meant to baptize me. And so John baptizes Jesus. He, he, he follows what Christ asks him to do and, and he baptizes him. And they experience this moment, this, this open heaven moment. That's a moment where John accepts what has been asked of him. It's a moment where he accepts his status, so to speak, his role as the baptizer, his role as the messenger preparing the way for the Lord. You're probably wondering, Nathan, like John was being humble in that moment. I don't understand what you're talking about. There are two aspects to humility that I think we have to be aware of. Uh, on, the, on the ends of the spectrum, there an, there's an aspect of humility where we need to make sure that we're drawing ourselves back to that place of, of not being proud, of not being arrogant, of not being so sure of ourselves, of our gifts, of our abilities. And we're accepting the fact that we are, that we are human and that everything we've been given is from God. There's that side of humility where we bring ourselves back to like, okay, this is from God. This is of God. My ability for basketball is not my own. Sure, I've worked for it. Uh, and I've trained for it, but it's something that's been given to me by God. My height has been given to me by God. I didn't make myself grow. There's that side of humility. There's also the side of humility. And, you know, this gets thrown around a lot, but there's, there's a false sense of humility. And what it means by a, a false sense of humility, and what I mean by that is that we think lower of ourselves. 
We go the other way. Rather than thinking higher of ourselves, we think lower of ourselves and, and we bring ourselves down to a point where we're not actually accurately estimating or accurately agreeing with who God says we are. And, and so we think lower of ourselves. In that moment, I, I honestly believe that John had a decision to make and his decision that he had to make was, am I going to be humble? And am I going to accept the position, accept the task that has been given to me to be a messenger, um, to be a preparer of the way of the Lord? If John has too much pride, that moment's not going to go well. If John has a false sense of humility, he's going to reject that moment and it's not going to happen and it's not going to go well. But he found himself sitting in that sweet spot where he was like, you know what? I'm not going to be too proud. I'm not going to be too thinking lowly of myself. And I'm going to accept what is being given to me. I'm going to accept the call of my life. And that is to prepare the way of the Lord. And that is to baptize people. You know, false humility to me is pride in disguise. False humility is pride in disguise. Because we're saying, and what we're suggesting when we believe in false humility and when we have a false sense of humility, what we're saying is that our opinion, hey God, my opinion of myself matters more than your opinion of me. Hey God, my opinion of my abilities, my opinion of my character means more to me and and says more to me than what yours does. And so when you boil that down, the posture of a heart when making that statement is the posture of pride. The two ends of the scale are really different, but they both boil back down to the same thing. They both boil back down to the same thing. Another instance, uh, another moment, I guess you could say, that John finds himself in the middle of this tension, holding this tension, and, he, and he's wrestling with it, and he has, to, he has to choose where he wants to go. You know, John went around and he preached the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you look throughout the Gospels, if you look at the the core of his message, it was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn from your ways, repent, be baptized, repent. Over and over and over again. It was the message that he would drum into people's heads. And, And as he would go around and as he would baptize people, you know, some people began to believe um and and think that maybe John the Baptist is Elijah. There was actually suggestion, people believed, you know, when they would look back at um, Malachi and the prophecy in Malachi that says Elijah will come again and he will prepare the way of the Lord. Some people thought that John was Elijah reincarnate. There were also some people that thought that John, um, maybe, maybe John is the person, maybe John's our Messiah. Maybe John is the person who's meant to come and save us. You know, there are a number of people that believe that John might be Jesus that he might be the Messiah. And in each of these instances, you see John take a position of humility. He isn't degrading of himself, yet he is also not one to accept the the high praise given to him. And he finds himself saying, no, I'm not Jesus, but I am the one who is called to prepare the way for him. I am not to be, to be confused or, or misunderstood that I am your Messiah, but I am the one who has been called to prepare the way for him. In today's day and age, we, not, we may not be put in a situation where people are confusing us with Jesus. I would hope that would definitely not be the case. I hope that none of us are getting confused with Jesus. 
We shouldn't be getting confused with Jesus. As I've wrestled with this this week, as I've been, you know, just uh, seeking God for what he, he wants to say to us through this, I've just had this such strong sense that God is asking us to find that middle ground. From the story that I shared before about me with basketball and with Dan, that, that was a time or a moment or an area of my life where I was, I was this side. You know, I was too proud. I was too arrogant. I was too confident of my own ability. I wasn't grounded in the middle in, in, in who God says I am. There have also been times in my life where I have gone to the other end of the spectrum, where I've been underconfident in my ability, where I have chosen to not listen to what God says about me, but chosen to listen to, to, to what I think or to what the world thinks or to what my limitations might be. In each of our lives, I'm sure that we find ourselves, I would say that I find myself in situations, in circumstances, or in conversations, maybe even weekly, where I find this internal battle of what is the position of my heart going to be? Am I going to assume a position of humility, or am I going to assume a position where I think more of myself or where I think less of myself? And I'm sure it's the same for you. I'm sure in your context, in your circumstances, in your life, you find yourself in positions where you, where you can uh, believe in yourself more or where you can believe in yourself less, where you can be gifted more or receive praise more or speak less of yourself. We've got to find the middle ground. As believers, as people that walk in freedom, we have to find and move into that middle ground that says, you know what? I am both accepting of the greatness. I'm both accepting of the call. I'm willing to own what God has asked of me, but I am also humble enough to accept that I am nothing without God, that my gifts come from him, that my gifts move through him, that he is the power that is within me, that it is by his Holy Spirit that my gifts, that, that my passions, that my strengths are able to happen. It's a really freeing position, actually. It's a really freeing position to be in when you choose to accept what he has given you, but you also realize that it is in him, through him, and from him. Let me just be vulnerable with you for a second. When I was coming back last year from BSSM, and Matt reached out to me and we, we caught up and he said like, hey, um, the navigators have been praying and we believe that God has called you um, and is, is calling you to come and pastor here at Catalyst along with me. Um, you know, and then I came back and we had the AGM and you all voted me in, which was awesome. And you know, God was totally in it. But in that moment, if I can be vulnerable and just share something with you, in that moment, I, I found myself day after day wrestling with this, wrestling with the tension of, heck, I am 22 years old and I am being offered and asked to take up a position to receive a responsibility that culture says should be for people that are only over the age of 35, maybe even 40. I also wrestled with the thought of like, heck, I must be pretty amazing if a 22-year-old has been asked to pastor a church. I'm being vulnerable, guys. Like that, that, thought, is, that thought was very real for me. I wrestled with the, the reality of what culture said I should or shouldn't be 
In reality, culture says I probably should have been a youth pastor and then maybe a young adults pastor and then maybe a, an associate pastor and then maybe I could be a pastor pastor, you know, after I've had some experience. That's what culture says. Uh, what the world wants you to think is like, hey, you're that great. You're that amazing. You're that smoking hot that, yeah, you can be a pastor at the age of 22. You can do anything you want at the age of 22. Come on, just do it. Like you're that gifted. Are these two little birdies on my shoulders just yapping at my ears throughout the whole time from hearing about it to praying about it to making the decision on what I was going to do. It would some days tear me to freaking shreds, guys. What were my thoughts about myself? What, you know, you know, are people going to trust a 22-year-old? You know, is this going to be the thing that projects me into a lifelong ministry? What, you know, like there were so many thoughts that can take me and unground me and that wanted to move me away from a posture and a position of humility. So many opportunities. I wrestled with it. I fought with it. Some days I battled the thought of being too much of the side of like, hey, like this, wow, that's crazy. That's amazing. What the heck? Like I'll receive that. Some days I battle the thought of like, hey, I can't do this. I, I'm not capable. I don't have the experience. I, I'm not good enough. Each and every one of us can find ourselves and probably have found ourselves in these circumstances, thinking these thoughts, experiencing these things. If you haven't, I would love to talk to you afterwards and interview you. I'd be dang surprised if there was actually anyone that hasn't found themselves in experiencing this tension. We have to understand and we have to choose to accept that which God has given us. But we also have to choose to relay it all back to him, to convey the praise, to convey the the words of affirmation, to convey our titles, our statuses. We, We have to give that back to him. There's no space for pride. There's also no space for false humility. And in fact, they're both the same thing. I want to encourage you, just as, just as we close, I, I want you to just dwell, to think, um, to just reflect personally for a moment. We're going to look at the two aspects. We're going to start with this side. Maybe is there an area of your life where you've experienced maybe the favor of man You've experienced it for, for, for good reason, because you're gifted. But maybe you've taken some of that affirmation and some of that praise and, and given 90% back to God, but kept 10% for yourself. That's the one thing that I, I want us to just think about, and, and we're going to do something with that. The other side is maybe you're not believing, or maybe you're in disagreement, or maybe your opinion doesn't match up with an opinion that God has about you. Maybe God's called you to something. Maybe he said like, hey, you're gifted in this area. I want to see you start using it. And you're like, nah, 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 nah. That's not for me, God. That's for someone else. You know, that's for a more gifted person. That's for a, a that's, you know, that, that, that's just for someone else. Whether something comes to mind on the pride side or whether something comes to mind on the false humility side, or maybe something comes to mind on both, that's okay. But I, I just want you for a moment to just close your eyes, to just reflect and, and ask the Holy Spirit, like, hey, Holy Spirit, is there an area of my life where there is too much pride that is making me think too much or maybe too little of myself. I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit just that right now, just in this moment. Hmm. I 
I hope that for, for some of you, maybe for all of us, that, that the Lord is bringing something to mind, that the Holy Spirit might be convicting our hearts and, and, and bringing us back to that point of humility, back to that point of freedom, of walking in unison with Him. Just as we close, I, I, I want to just actually just open up a moment um, for repentance. Open up a moment for us to get right with God. John preached a message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was prophesying that as he preached to the people, because at that time, the kingdom of heaven was not at hand. It was coming, but it was not yet at hand. We now find ourselves in a time where it is no longer a prophecy to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is our reality. It is not some wishy-washy, far off kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of heaven is here. and is ready to invade. It is ready to invade our lives, to invade our hearts. God is here. Each and every one of us, having accepted Christ into their hearts, you have the kingdom of heaven inside of you. It is not some far off distant thought. And so I just want to open up in a moment. It's not going to be prescriptive. It's going to be whatever you need to do. Maybe you need to kneel. Maybe you need to sit back in your chair, open up your hands. Maybe you need to stand. Whatever it may be, I, I want to encourage you that to be following the, the voice and the guidance of the Holy Spirit in this moment. But I, I actually want us to engage with repentance right now. And actually, let, let's realize that as we repent, it's not a moment for us to be dropping our heads. It's not a moment for us to be experiencing shame. It's not a moment for us to be experiencing uh, the voice that says we've screwed up and we're not good enough. It's a chance for us to gaze into the face of God. It's a chance for us to experience his light and his truth and actually experience him call us higher to a greater standard, to call us maybe to acceptance of the things that he has spoken. And so just right now, I'm just going to pray a, a covering over us. And we're just going to take a couple of minutes in silence, just in each of our homes. And we're just going to, we're going to just position ourselves before the Lord with our faces turned towards his, not turned towards the ground, turned towards his, and just allow our hearts and our minds uh, and lead into repentance and then experience uh, the coming of the kingdom of heaven, the, the renewal of our hearts and our minds. So, Father, we just, we open up to you this morning. God, we, we choose to accept your truth. And Holy Spirit, I just write, ask that right now that you would just come and that you would provide uh, conviction that you would provide comfort, that you, would, that you would come with your spirit and just move in our hearts and our minds right now in this moment, and that you would lift us higher in this moment. God, we choose this morning to believe your thoughts. God, we choose this morning to accept your call for our lives. God, we choose this morning to own the things that make us feel uncomfortable. God, we choose to activate, to live out in the gifts that you have given us. Father, we, we turn our hearts in praise and thanksgiving to you. And Lord, we, we choose to give you back all the glory that you deserve today. Lord, we, we acknowledge that you made us, that you created us from dust. Father, that it is in you, through you, that we live, that we move, that we have our being. 
Lord, we come before you and, and, and we, we accept all that you have for us. Father, and we acknowledge that you are lifting us higher, that you are turning us more into your likeness. Father, as we repent, Lord, that as we turn from our ways, from our beliefs, from our mindsets, Lord, that we are turning to the light and, Lord, that we are becoming more light. God, we acknowledge that freedom looks like humility. It looks like having confidence in you and in who you say that we are. We choose to accept that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.